happy holidays and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Final Lecture Series Online Edition. Uh, my name is Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. Thank you very much for joining us tonight for our last lecture of the fall semester with Professor Hyung Hee Park, uh, joining us all the way from Korea uh, on her book, Soju, A Global History, published by Cambridge University Press. Uh, the paperback was recently released in 2022 and is currently available for purchase online uh, from Amazon uh, for $44.99 or if you're interested in the ebook version uh, for your Kindle, $33.99. Uh, the link is on Professor Park's talk webpage and also available in the chat. Hyung Hee Park is Professor of History at John Jay College of Criminal Justice at CUNY and the CUNY Graduate Center. A native of South Korea, Professor Park received her BA in Asian and Western History at Seoul National University, a master's degree in East Asian Studies at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and a PhD in History at Yale University. Uh, Professor Park specializes in the history of cross-cultural contacts in East Asia and the Islamic world in Sino-Islamic contexts in particular, in the Mongol Empire and global history, focusing on information and knowledge transfers, including the transfers of uh, geographical knowledge, foodways, and distillation technologies. Uh, she's authored Mapping the Chinese and Islamic Worlds, a Cross-Cultural Exchange in Pre-Modern Asia, and tonight's book, uh, Soju, A Global History, and is the author of over 30 articles for academic journals and edited volumes. Uh, she also serves as coordinator of the Humanities and Justice Studies program and has taught several capstone courses for the HJS major in addition to history courses, including Chinese and global history, historiography, research methods, and senior seminars. Uh, please welcome Professor Park. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. And it's really uh, my great honor and pleasure to be here with the RE community. Thank you for this kind of invitation. I published this uh, book uh, in English in 2021, and uh, following that, I received encouragement to release a Korean version. Uh, so, so I uh, so embracing this uh, challenge, uh, I personally undertook the translation process. So while it was a demanding task, the effort proved to be a rewarding endeavor. Uh, so I'm pleased to share that the Korean translation was successfully published in 2023, uh, June this year, and it has been released very well. And I think this book suggests the intriguing intersection of Asian studies and Asian American studies with a particular focus on soju. This iconic beverage not only serves as a symbol of uh, cultural heritage that Korean and Asian Americans can take pride in, but it has also become a widely enjoyed spirit in the United States and beyond. Its increasing uh, popularity and cultural significance underscore the importance of integrating these peers into a more comprehensive global Asian studies framework, reflecting the dynamic interplay of heritage, identity, and globalization. Many of you of being part of the Asian American and Asian Studies program might already be familiar with soju. Some may have even savored its unique taste in Korean restaurants. For those who haven't, soju is Korea's national spirit, a clear colorless liquor akin to vodka, as you can see in the screen. And uh, thanks to the Korean wave, Han Hanyu, soju has become globally renowned often promoted by K-pop icons like Psy and girl groups. As its popularity grows, it received attention in the media in the past few years. Unfortunately, uh, when American journalists interviewed, own, own, interviewed owners of Korean restaurants in the several years ago, uh, they failed to receive a clear answer. But everything has its history, often complicated ones like uh, that for Soju. I'm glad that I was able to publish this book before too long to solve many people's curiosity. After its publication in 2021, uh, my book garnered some uh, media attention, highlighting its impact and uh, relevance. So right after the release, a Yahoo News article discussing soju relevance uh, referenced my uh, book, indicating its influence in the discourse on the traditional Korean spirit. And subsequently, 
a New York Times piece on makgeolli, a traditional turbid wine different from soju, also drew on my book uh, for insight, underscoring uh, the breadth of its application in understanding Korean alcoholic beverage. And more recently, in September, I don't know if you have heard about this, uh, so I was interviewed by an LA journalist that uh, there was a new uh, launch of a new brand of soju. Um, and uh, this article uh, that interviewed me uh, spotlighted the Korean rap star and Los Angeles native Jay Park's launch of his soju brand, One Soju, in the United States. Uh, targeting a younger demographic, this initiative seeks to expand soju's allure uh, beyond its traditional Korean base, reaching out not only to Korean American and Asian American communities, but also to a broader international audience. And I value this article for its concise and informative approach and offering the readers a snapshot of Soju's evolving story, to which I was able to contribute. So I'm pleased that my book contributes effectively to uh, discussions about Soju and other alcoholic beverages in Korea. However, I want to clarify upfront that my book's primary aim was to explore the rich history of Soju dating back to the pre-modern period. So here is the table of contents of my book. Uh, I was particularly struck by the rich global dimensions of Soju's history. Why recognized as a Korean spirit, its origins and the spread of related distillation technology trace back to ancient times in Eurasia and beyond, with further evolution in the modern era through new technologies. In contemplating the most suitable section of my book to present at the Ari community, uh, I uh, considered uh, discussing maybe uh, the development of soju as a unique Korean liquor during the Joseon period in chapter four, uh, starting from the 15th century. But I thought it might be more inter interesting to share my transnational perspective encompassing Eurasian and global history in the context of Korean history and global history. So, uh, so I, I will focus on the theme, Soju and uh, Korea in global uh, cross-cultural exchanges, hopefully covering its development in the 21st century in the wider world, including the US. So as time is limited, let me focus on the key points of my book tracing soldiers' journey through various historical periods. So, um, so the rise of soju during the Mongol period and the local development in Korea in the early modern period to the present, uh, the, the rise uh, of modern industrial soju uh, in 20th and 21st century. But uh, before, uh, before that, first of all, let me first start with my academic journey. So how I got in, involved in this study about Korean culture and uh, many people asking me about this. So actually my doctoral dissertation later published as my first book explored medieval contexts and exchanges between the Chinese and East Asian and Islamic worlds, utilizing geographic and cartographic information. So if you are interested in old map and broader Eurasian context, please have a look at this book too. So while preparing uh, this book, my research focus gradually expanded to encompass other kinds of information and technology transfers. At the point, never in my wildest imagination did I suspect that I would write my next book on the history of alcoholic drinks and Korea. But I became so intrigued by the topic of technology in general and by the cross-cultural context and transfers involved in the development of soju within the context of global history. And uh, it was Dr. Paul Buer, a renowned expert on the Mongol period, who first introduced me to this topic in the history of alcohol, especially to the history of spirits, distilled liquors. And Dr. Buer was working with Dr. Ana Valenzuela, an expert on Mexican spirits in their collaborative projects about comparative investigation of these technologies. 
starting with possible influences of the Asian steels on distillation in Mexico. So Dr. Viewer has examined the key role that the Mongols played during the age of their massive empire in disseminating improved distillation technology widely in Eurasia. He also argued that the Mongols also created an environment in which a variety of cultures could produce their own distilled liquors using local ingredients. They invited me to investigate the case of Korean soju uh, and uh, so doing so gave me the opportunity to write my book. So I'm so glad that I was able to write it as a monograph so that people can use it to study further the history of alcohol in Korea and other cultural elements in pre-modern Korea and other parts of Asia. So these topics about culture need further English language publications when uh, many academic fields have uh, this global tongue. I'm sorry that uh, Western scholars such as uh, Joseph Needham and his colleagues have, have not treated Korean soju for their very compar comparative research about the history of distillation in uh, their magnificent uh, volume, Science and Civilization in China. So this was because few studies on soju were available in Western languages. Although there are some old Korean uh, studies in Korean, um, so I was able to study the new topic, the history of liquors in Korea, thanks to my collaboration with these scholars. Um, and But I had to study from the very primary sources because um, there haven't been uh, really uh, serious studies on this topic. And another advantage helped me to study Korean history from a global perspective, the importance of the Mongol Empire in this study. Recent studies have shed new light on the history of the Mongol Empire in the current uh, concurrent epoch in Korean history, namely the Korea dynasty deserves an equivalently significant uh, reevaluation. Uh, so the, the English uh, Latin name Korea is from this dynasty, Korea dynasty. There have been many studies about the Korea dynasty inside Korea, but very few publications are available in English. And also, very few studies have focused on the cultural exchanges between uh, the Mongol Empire and Korea. So I believe my book is the first work to do so and hope to promote more studies in this direction. So now, uh, let me give you some highlights of the chapters in my book, starting with the Mongol roots of soju. Searching for soju's origins, I should lead you into the vast, complex world of pre-modern Eurasia, because soju is one of the distilled spirits that began to be popularized there uh, from the Mongol period of the 13th and 14th centuries. Unlike the production of fermented alcohols like wine and beer, whose fermentation ideas could first have been observed in nature, distilled liquor production was made possible only by the development of a chemical technology called distillation. Distillation is a technique used to separate alcohol content from water and other contents using boiling and condensing or even freezing in the northern part of Eurasia. Distillation typically requires not only the calculation of different boiling points for a variety of ingredients, but also the development of distilling apparatus, colloquially called steel. Uh, for example, here is a steel for French cognac spirits only produced in cognac France. This is a cross-sectional view of the steel uh, the rising vapor after boiling is condensed by the water and uh, the resulting liquid of higher alcohol content can then be led into a separate uh, receiving pot. Thanks to experts like Joseph Needham, we know that people in Asia developed steels different from European pot steels much earlier. Prior to mass-produced industrial soju of the 20th century, Koreans also made soju using traditional uh, Korean distillation methods yes. uh, by distilling fermented rice wine using Korean distillation apparatus uh, called soju gori. This is quite similar to some of 
traditional steers are uh, used for distillation in other parts of Eurasia, particularly those of China and Mongolia. Uh, like Joseph Nidan uh, and other experts have categorized these as Asian-type steers, uh, different from European uh, pot steers. So in fact, the origins of the distilled liquors for widespread consumption have become a topic for heated debate within a larger context of world history. So in these first three chapters, I explored the, their roots and transcourse by uh, examining all the existing theories to provide a convincing and updated uh, assumption. So recently, scholars have argued the likelihood of multiple independent inventions of the idea of distillation in uh, at least the ancient Near East, in China, and even India. There are heated debates still going on. And uh, several societies developed distillation ideas in the ancient period. But they used it to do such things as distill herbal alcohol and perfume or mercury, uh, rather than making drinking liquor. Intriguingly, we began to have a surge of documents about distilled liquor from the Mongol period, starting with China and Korea in the 13th and 14th centuries. So all other distilled spirits like vodka, whiskey, or brandy have a similar history that go back to the late medieval period. But the earliest documentary evidence for the distilled liquors is from the 14th century Chinese documents with the earliest archaeological evidence. So these Chinese documents testify to the rapid spread of distilled liquor in Eurasia from the Mongol period, not before. And uh, so these include Xiaozhou in Chinese and Soju uh, and Arak. So the word Soju, uh, and is the Korean reading of Chinese shaojo, the roast liquor, cooked liquor. But we should look at another distilled liquor called arak that began to rise along with shaojo during the Mongol period and were transferred to Korea about the same time. And what is arak? You can see arak everywhere in Eurasia. So arak is from the Arabic word arak, sweat or perspiration, essential drugs created by vapor during distillation. My book's readers will be intrigued to learn that distilled liquors were also widely called arag in many parts of the Afro-Eurasian world, including China, Korea, and Japan, not to mention the Middle East, from where the term arag originated in the first place. And uh, if you uh, were interested in soju, uh, you have seen a modern soju brand with this name arag. So this shows close connections among these liquors in their origins. And the rapid spread of the distilled liquors, often known by their universal name Arak, throughout most Eurasia occurred in the Mongol period in the 13th and 14th centuries. And this strongly suggests that the spread of these distilled spirits is related to the Mongols. So uh, chapter one of my book delves into how Xiaozhou and Arak intermingled and evolved in China during the Mongol period. The Chinese had been uh, producing distilled alcohol from grain fermented liquors to some extent during the Song Dynasty from like 11th, 12th century, uh, using both native and foreign distillation technologies. The Mongols, after conquering southern China, uh, embraced these techniques to distill their favored milk fermented drink, Fumis a crucial beverage for their culture. So this move by the Mongols likely accelerated uh, the spread of distilled spirits throughout China, leading to the intermingling of Xiaozhou and Arak, who uh, ultimately based on the fermented grains. So it's like a typical story, like there are people, a group of people who really liked it and then they contributed to the spread of this, even though they didn't invent this, it was the Mongols. So understanding this complex history of distilled spirits was essential before tracing the transfer of soju to Korea. So the goal was to piece together the intricate puzzle of this liquor's evolution, which my book attempts to do so. And so, uh, okay, so uh, actually I was honored that an expert in Chinese liquor uh, 
included my work in their list of the best five books on Chinese alcohol and drinking culture. And um, as uh, we navigate through this rich and layered history, we gain not uh, just insights into the origins of soju, but also a deeper understanding of the cultural exchanges that shaped our world. And the next chapters of my book explore the fascinating uh, journey of Xiaojo and Arak from the Mongol Empire to the Korean Peninsula during the Korea dynasty. The transfer of spirits from the Mongol Empire to Korea even served as a well-documented case of the spread of spirits at the time. So in this book, I argue that we could use this Korean case to explore the further uh, diffusion of similar distilled spirits in the broader area under the Mongol influence. So let me explain the situation in Korea at the time. The Korean Peninsula was ruled by the Korea dynasty and uh, from here. Oh. So the Western name uh, Korea, uh, I told you, is derived from this dynasty name. And I think those who study Korean history are familiar with the modern uh, period or Joseon uh, dynasty. But of course, you can see these earlier dynasties in Korea. and um, and uh, the Korea period is particularly rich in its contact with the wider world. And of course, the earlier uh, kingdoms did, did that too. And, um, and uh, like many other regimes in Eurasia, uh, Korea was first conquered by the Mongols uh, in the 13th century and became part of the Mongol Empire. In um, And uh, it had close... Uh, Political and cultural exchanges with that, uh, not as uh, like conquered, like uh, uh, like yeah, not uh, like a territory, but it became uh, pretty independent. It was a kind of vassal state, and even as a son-in-law state, because the Mongol princes and the kings married the princes of the Mongol Empire. So, for example, uh, some uh, like Korea monarchs, like King Chungsun took advantage of this complex status to ensure Korea's continuing independence as a state and to promote its privilege within the Mongol Empire at large. So this opened the way to a wide range of cross-cultural interactions from the stationing of the Mongol soldiers in uh, the Korean Peninsula and on Jeju Island uh, to trade to court relations and intermarriages. So these situations created opportunities for the exchange, uh, laying the foundations for soju's development. Such a process is not exclusively uh, exclusive to alcohol. We see similar patterns in various cultural artifacts, even other kinds of Korean foods like uh, meat. A part of exchanges, meat eating culture was introduced by the Mongols too, because Buddhism, uh, Buddhism was a dominant religion in Korea uh, period. The people did not eat much meat, you can understand. Uh, but the Mongols' meat-eating culture was transferred to Korea and began to spread across the Korean peninsula from the Mongol period, along with the revival of hunting culture. So this change in culinary culture could have boosted distilled alcohol consumption with a strong alcoholic percentage that worked better with meat. So the famous Korean barbecue, like bulgogi, kalbi, could be one like Mongol legacy. So these new cultural elements also include uh, new philosophical ideas like Neo-Confucianism and science like astronomy and geography, like uh, this famous world map, including Africa, um, made first in China and in Korea in the uh, in the 14th century. So in this way, uh, Soju provides an excellent vehicle for understanding the extent of uh, Eurasian influence on Korea and Korea's place in Eurasia under so-called Pax Mongolica in the Mongol peace in the 13th and 14th centuries. As for distillation technology transfer, I argue in this book that because a simple Mongolian steel uh, Mongolian-style steel and not the complicated Chinese steel 
uh, was introduced to Korea by the Mongols, it diffused across the Korean peninsula far more speedily than if other types of more complex technology had been evolved. Uh, involved. So, um, but the documentation from the Korea period is sparse, with only three extant or three or four extant references to distilled liquors. So, it's in the subsequent Joseon period where we find more substantial evidence supporting this technology transfer and the evolution of soju as we know it today. So chapter four, uh, um, now we uh, briefly introduce the story of soju in Korea in Joseon period, Korea's last pre-modern dynasty. So in this Joseon period, Soju not only became deeply embedded in Korean culture, but also underwent significant localization in terms of production methods and cultural practices. So this era marked a time when soju rapidly spread across the Korean peninsula, uh, cementing its role as a pivotal element in Korea's alcoholic beverage, building upon the foundations laid in the late Korea period. The Joseon era so soju's integration into various aspects of Korean life. The royal court, recognizing uh, soju's value, began using soju for both diplomatic gift giving and medicine, uh, medical purposes, uh, even establishing a dedicated bureau for its distillation. The official endorsement had a profound impact extending soju's reach into everyday life as households began to produce uh, soju as a tribute, thereby embedding it in the domestic brewing culture known as kayangju. Intriguingly, uh, this contrasts with the Chinese approach, like China's approach at the time where industrial scale distillers were more uh, common. In Korea, uh, soju evolved in a more like grassroots manner as evidenced by its uh, frequent mention in cookbooks and medical texts. These sources provided recipes and uh, medical uh, applications in indicating soju's growing prominence in the Korean society. For instance, during the hot summer month, soju became a preferred substitute in ancestral worship rituals, where fermented wines like Cheongju, uh, uh, rice wine were prone to uh, spoilage. The island of Jeju, uh, you can see it's uh, famous for now the tourism, uh, it has a very strong Mongol legacy and it has a humid climate. It's a notable example where soju became the primary alcoholic beverage as the preservation of fermented drinks was challenging. So in fact, I was so intrigued by the fact that distilled liquors such as Korean soju have been used in social, medicinal, and spiritual practices, and even used to produce hand sanitizers when the COVID-19 pandemic has worsened and become prolonged. Some of these sources from the Joseon period uh, help us understand that the first steel type uh, distillation apparatus spread in Korea uh, is a simple Mongolian style uh, distillation technique brought by the Mongols. So there's a uh, soldier's population, um, uh, so soldier's production spread quickly thanks to the simple Mongolian style distillation technique. And uh, I actually found a diary style record written in the late 17th century and uh, which provides a wonderful hint. The author um, of the memoir, Yi Ji Hang, was adrift at sea, a uh, um, uh, poor guy, uh, but he wanted to have water uh, and uh, to survive. And he reported, I mean, he tried to distill sea water to drink as if he was distilling soju by this boiling pot method. So he describes how he like put the sea water in a pot, closed the pot lid upside down, as you can see in the diagram, and received only um, a half of the bottle of distilled water, which dripped from the lid uh, of the pot, and indeed it tasted plain, not salty. So in time, 
the tools uh, to make soju evolved until the original simple form morphed into the relatively complicated steels called gori, as you can see these um, later, uh, like uh, the versions of uh, the steel. Some sources also pointed out Whenever the consumption of soju grew large enough to cause problems for uh, the Korean economy, uh, which was possible um, given the use of rice, Korea's most basic staple uh, as its main ingredient. So indeed, uh, because of this, the government issued prohibitions during droughts against alcohol drinks, particularly soju. And we also see this kind of uh, alcohol ban in other cultures like uh, US in early like, um, 20th century. So at the time it, this happened many times. And in addition, official documents and medical books also report side effects caused by the uh, abusive consumption of soju, also very common uh, nowadays. So while documentary evidence demonstrates an ongoing process of soju localization within Korea, during the Joseon dynasty five centuries. It likewise shows that Koreans also integrated with uh, other societies to varying degrees through soju. Soju was regularly transported as official gifts or trade goods to the cores of the Ming and Qing dynasties in China, the Tokugawa shogunate in Japan, and uh, the kingdom of Ryukyu on Okinawa. On Europe, um, as Europeans uh, began to expand into Asian waters, Korea also gradually opened to the world at large. Europeans traveling to Korea observed heavy drinking, especially uh, strong alcohol, which probably meant soju. So this rich history during the Joseon era set the stage for soju's transformation in the 20th century, eventually uh, leading to its status as Korea's national drink. And it's important uh, transformation in the evolution of soju during the 21st, uh, 20th century laid the foundation for the flowering of the current soju culture in the 21st century. This transformation was both directly and indirectly affected by enormous changes that are the hallmarks of the modern period in global history, which include the scientific revolution beginning in the 18th century, industrialization, modernization, colonialism, and globalization. I discussed it in three uh, different phases. The first phase, uh, the transportation to consider is the modernization of the soju distillation industry, which involved the introduction of new technologies and methods during the colonial rule of Korea by Imperial Japan from uh, 1910 to 1945. So during this period, uh, the traditional soju, according to distillation methods and recipes made con um, con conven uh, uh, conventional during Joseon times, uh, declined gradually as Japanese companies introduced and popularized a modern industrial form to Korean con uh, consumers. Instead of using a traditional like, small distillation apparatus like soju gori, the new industrial form of soju introduced by the Japanese has used a continuous steel for mass production as low, at low cost in large factories that innovators in European societies developed during the 18th century and later introduced to Japan in the late 19th century. So uh, the, the photo V is photo of an industrial soju factory in Jeju Island in 1943, and this one is a photo uh, of uh, ethanol steel columns in Korea in recent years. The, <clears throat> the second transformation occurred amidst the new environment of rapid economic development and state building that defined Korea, South Korea in particular, uh, between its independence in 1945 and its realization of developed nation status uh, in the late 20th century. During this half century, Koreans faced many chaotic and difficult situations that presented them with major challenges, including the Korean War, rapid modernization, and industrialization led by a dictatorial government, followed by a fiercely determined democratization movement. 
The Korean government supported factory manufactured industrial soju made from potatoes instead of its traditional ingredient, rice, because it lacked grain. Only in the 1980s did the government began to promote traditional distilled soju as Minsokju, a literally a national folk liquor, part of uh, its policy of promoting national culture. This encouraged a revived uh, traditional soju <coughs> whose consumption had declined during the era of Japanese rule. The traditional soju available to us nowadays is the ones revived at this time. In the third and most recent transformation between the late 20s and the early 21st centuries, a globalizing economy uh, created unprecedented connections between soju producers and virtually every part of the world. This represents a radical form of multiple cross-cultural transforms between uh, beyond the Korean culture. In particular, the 21st century has witnessed a remarkable global expansion of soju largely fueled by the Korean wave, Hanyu, and the worldwide popularity of Korean cuisine. Such experts have searched uh, reaching out not only East Asia and traditional inter, uh, intercultural contact zones like North America and Europe, but also regions with historically less interactions with Korea, such as Africa and other regions. So this internationalization can be attributed to three main factors. The global rise of Korean cuisine, the widespread influence of Korean popular culture, including dramas, television programs, movies, and K-pop games, and soju's affordability and mass production. Korean restaurants, many run by Korean immigrants, have played a pivotal role in popularizing soju, uh, uh, the Korean dishes globally, uh, with items like kimchi, bulgogi, and bibimbap becoming household names. Soju, often accompanying these dishes, has benefited from this culinary spread. Its pairing with Korean meat dishes echoes the complementary uh, relationship uh, seen between Japanese sake and sushi. Governmental uh, initiatives and the Korean wave have further amplified soju's presence globally. Uh, with the Korean dramas often featuring social scenes with soju. Additionally, uh, the low alcohol content of industrial soju has made it more accessible in markets uh, like the US, where it can be sold under uh, regular alcohol uh, licenses, much like wine. And I heard that Korean Americans uh, contributed this kind of uh, changes. And even uh, at the same time, even uh, foreign makers like Americans uh, uh, grown up in Brooklyn uh, like boldly appropriated the Korean spirit, leading to innovations in soju that could compete in Korea and abroad. So uh, this is a Toki soju, rabbit soju, uh, and uh, it's very popular even in Korea and actually the, the, comp uh, the factory is also in Korea too. So this kind of recent transformation during the past century catalyzed the development of today's soju as a new global brand. So let me point out that the soju that made Korean soju famous globally in the 21st century is this mass-produced industrial soju. It has less alcohol only around 20% than a traditional brand with more than 45% alcohol. The soju made of rice in a traditional distillation way uh, has a smoother taste than uh, industrial soju, according to Soju Gourmet. Uh, but these industrial soju factories have also made their effort to improve the taste where. Then uh, I think we can also like ask some fundamental questions like, what is soju? And uh, I just discussed the questions in my book about the identity of soju and the meaning of soju identifiers as like, such identifiers as tradition and modernity that have been regularly applied to this ever-changing uh, spirit. So actually, uh, different approaches to interpreting uh, the consequences of soju's transformation have led to debates about like, what constitutes like traditional soju. 
And uh, so like simply put, like can we call modern forms of soju or even self-consciously traditional ones like authentic? So actually uh, the answer in this book is yes, because I uh, trace its history back to the ancient period, starting with this distillation technology uh, uh, and for its development, um, yeah, it, it really involves very complicated usage um, ones. And so like modern form is in this long uh, historical flow. So, uh, but some people, of course, can uh, don't have to agree. And so despite the discussion, Soju has successfully carved out its niches on the global stage, blending tra tradition with modernity and showcasing the flexibility and adaptability of this iconic Korean spirit. So this search for Soju's origins can extend even further uh, into the past through the Middle Ages, antiquity and beyond, and into the future uh, as global Soju companies continue to study people's cultural attitudes and consumption patterns and respond with experiments in ingredients and technologies that uh, try to adapt soju to the diverse and changing tastes of people all over the world. Instead of stopping at the case of Korea, in the last chapter of this book, I examined two cases that stimulate discussions of transfers of distilled liquor in a global context. Uh, the case of shochu in Japan in um, the case of tequila in Mexico. But uh, uh, I have no time to talk about this, so I will answer if you have any further questions about this during the Q&A. So just uh, the concluding, uh, in conclusion, I hope that uh, this exploration of Soju's complex history has not only uh, been enlightening, but also illu uh, illustrative of the deep connections between Korean history and Korean-American uh, history. The evolution of soju is a vivid example of how cultural practices and pro uh, products traverse borders and generations, shaping societies and forging new identities. It exemplifies the resilience and adaptability of cultural heritage as it flows from Korean roots to global branches, including the vibrant Korean-American communities. This journey of soju from its origins in Korea and broader Eurasia to its embrace in the United States and beyond mirrors the broader narrative of Korean immigrants and their descendants who have continually negotiated their identity and heritage in a global context and developed their own uh, culture based on the tradition. As a Korean, uh, my aim in presenting this objective global uh, history was not only to enlighten, but also to kindle a deeper interest in the rich tapestry of Korean culture and history uh, and how it inter interweaves with the experiences and contributions of Korean Americans. Korean Americans have played a pivotal role in the distribution and popularization of Korean foods and culture in the United States. So their contributions span various facets from culinary innovation to the cultural exchange. And my book didn't delve into the topic of Korean Americans more deeply, but I believe this would be an important topic to explore further. So thank you so much for your attention. And um, I eagerly anticipate any questions you may have. And just in closing, uh, I would like to share a fascinating discovery from a Korean newspaper article of Marvel Comics. Uh, uh, you see some of uh, the faces here uh, from like Marvel, uh, the comic, like uh, Avengers. Uh, so they they made this poster depicting a scene of barbecue and spirit. So this scene uh, reminiscent 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 of late Joseon period artworks that I have encountered in Korean museum, which is in, in my uh, book jacket. So vividly captures the enduring culture, uh, cultural significance of food and drink in Korean society. So it also reflects the continuity and evolution of these cultural elements from Korean history into Korean American experiences, reminding us of the rich shared heritage that continue to thrive and adapt in our globalized world.
Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for a fascinating talk, Professor Park, and congratulations on the Korean translation of your publication. Thank uh, you. Is it available in the States or only in Korea right now? Oh, I know that some Korean books would become available in Amazon uh, ultimately, but I don't know how soon. Let me, let me see. Yeah, okay. it's nice. Yeah. Um, our attendee said, could you please share some of the primary documents you have used for this book? And are they in different languages besides Korean? Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's uh, really kind of academic <laughs> questions about uh, how uh, and also the, the, uh, the research methods. Yes. Uh, so definitely. Um, so well, actually, uh, when I uh, got intrigued uh, to this topic and uh, in and agreed to join uh, the project Global uh, Spirit um, like uh, research by my colleagues, I thought there would be some Korean books and articles that I could easily use. Uh, so, because this is not my primary research uh, topic. And uh, and I, uh, I thought uh, it would be more like uh, introducing the current research uh, done in Korean languages. And I, but once I uh, started this project, I was so surprised and many, uh, there were not many studies that really delved into the primary sources deeply. And uh, so available um, works only like recycled some of the earlier works. So I had to trace all the sources, uh, like a major, secondary sources and the primary sources used by the previous studies. And um, because I'm a historian and without uh, relying on historical sources, I cannot make any argument. And it took some time because uh, really many recent works recycled earlier ones. Uh, but uh, after uh, uh, certain uh, research, I uh, found that there are um, primary sources and uh, and they are very valuable sources that really uh, needed further um, investigations. And so sort of about like the rise of Soju in Korea dynasty and late Korea period, we have uh, pieces of evidence in the the official chronicle of the Korea uh, period, like history, official history of Korea, Korea Sa. And uh, also we have poems and to compare the rise of Soju with uh, the Korean archives um, developed in before the Mongol period, I had to study the earlier Korean sources. Uh, there are not many uh, documents, I mean, compared to those of uh, Chinese history, which have really tons, yeah, so many document, doc, documentary evidence for many aspects. But still, uh, we have uh, um, a good number of sources that uh, I was able to examine and compare um, uh, with, uh, and, uh, and then uh, like trace the evolution of uh, alcohol uh, enjoyed by the Korean people. And, uh, and then the, the very important thing is that, and also, uh, sorry, uh, about the history of Korea, uh, Korean alcoholic drinks. In the Joseon period, uh, from like um, for late 14th century, uh, we have many documents because uh, many, uh, People in Joseon period left um, official histories, different kinds of official histories, and also uh, liter um, many literary works, poems, and uh, like miscellaneous works, and, and all various kinds of documents. So, um, and uh, actually, the chapter four about the Joseon dynasty, like how Korea and Soju developed and became localized. Um, I, I thought I could write uh, a very short chapter, uh, but I uh, found many sources and instead of um, okay, using them like comprehensively, I had to really pick the most important ones and uh, make the, uh, the most important points based on those sources. And the most important point I think I, I didn't make it during my talk is that, um, uh, so we know the Mongol period, the distilled liquor spread uh, worldwide. Uh, it, uh, we see the first documentation of distilled liquor and distillation uh, technique uh, 
apply to uh, drinking um, the, like uh, alcoholic drinks uh, from the 14th century. Uh, but after that, uh, alcoholic drink, uh, sorry, the distilled liquors began to appear in the East and West uh, um, gradually. But uh, it's difficult to uh, find the primary sources that help us trace the, like, for example, like um, westward uh, transition. We just see like, oh, suddenly uh, in Iran and probably in like Eastern Europe, like close to Russia, we began to see like the rise of vodka. And any connections with this like Mongol um, uh, like a spread of uh, this liquor, and we cannot exactly uh, say that, but um, but it's very very likely. And the case of uh, the transfer of this liquor from China, uh, the Mongol under Mongol rule to Korea, gives uh, a lot of good uh, pieces of evidence that uh, help us trace this because we see like really the two. Uh, countries were connected, and um, and we see, uh, uh, okay, yeah, so yeah, and many other uh, things were transferred to the Korean Peninsula too. So and uh, so anyway, so uh, well, we have many more sources from the 15, 14, uh, sorry, the 16th, 17th centuries, the modern period, in, like worldwide. But for the pre-modern period, it's really difficult to find like uh, sufficient sources that help us like trace everything. And especially for the cultural items like uh, soju and uh, food, it's even more difficult. But by, uh, but we can work like a detective. We can uh, try to figure out the most reliable and relevant sources. And uh, also using comparative uh, approaches, we can see that um, the, the feature of uh, the evidence for the, the transfer of soju and rice uh, and development of soju in Korea is relatively uh, well documented compared to other uh, historical spirits. And uh, so I argued in book, the book's conclusion that we have to look at the history of soju and shaojo and Asian spirits to understand, uh, uh, newly understand the history of global spirits. So their um, spirits are very, uh, you know, popular, whiskey, vodka, uh, brandy, but actually, uh, even though they are important, um, actually, uh, in general, the history of global spirits need like a further studies. And my uh, colleagues working on like Western um, spirits like vodka all agreed that we have to study this more was focusing on this technological uh, perspective and also uh, the like cultural uh, aspect. And uh, so this case uh, gives a good pieces of evidence and it's because in the pre-modern period before the European expansion, we find more documented, rich documentation about the culture in Asian part. Uh, so uh, because there were a lot of exchanges and um, the context uh, among different Asian countries. I believe many of you have heard about the Silk Road. Silk Road is like a symbolic, uh, this really kind of existed as like trade routes that connected many Asian countries in pre-modern uh, Eurasia. Like a silk was very important uh, product that was uh, liked by the Westerners and then that and, and it's not just silk, but many other things were exchanged. And I argue that um, other um, other cultural uh, items like like food and soju in medicine, in many many things, were also uh, transferred and uh, exchanged and developed further uh, in different local uh, areas in interesting way. And uh, yeah, soju history gives some interesting. Uh, examples uh, for this kind of uh, context. And yeah, so anyway, uh, so if you look at my book, you can find more uh, primary uh, sources. And in the bibliography, because I wrote this book as an academic book, uh, I actually separate like primary source uh, bibliography, uh, the reference corner, and then the secondary sources. And oh, about the languages, yeah, I had because I studied uh, the the context between Chinese and Italian words, I I can read Arabic slowly, and uh, also I can read Chinese and Japanese, and 
So I was able to read those key primary sources scattered in different languages. And for some sources uh, of the languages I cannot read, like Persian, I uh, got help from my colleagues. In regards to, well, you, tonight's talk, you discuss uh, primarily Korea and, and China in terms of Shoujo and Baijiu. Uh, did you do any comparisons at all between Soju and Sake? You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that in, in chapter six. Yeah, so today, uh, uh, yeah, because of the time limit, I was not able to um, uh, talk more about that. But it's very interesting comparison because, uh, you know, Japanese food was very famous and very uh, popular in worldwide. And uh, for Japanese alcohol, people always think like about this sake. It's uh, actually... This is a fermented rice wine, uh, very similar to the rice wine that developed before uh, the rise of soju in Korea. And um, so its alcohol percentage is much lower. And uh, then Japan was not directly connected to the Mongol Empire. So, um, uh, so uh, it seems like uh, the Mongols uh, uh, didn't influence Japan with uh, like shaoju and distilled liquor directly, and but it's possible uh, always like I'm um, as a historian I'm talking about uh, the kind of uh, the like uh, the the transfers and then situation um, testified to by uh, the sources, but we always we can uh, we can imagine that. Probably there were more like uh, interactions, yeah, that were not documented. But anyway, and but anyway, uh, the distilled liquor began to appear in Japan, Japanese islands, from like um, uh, like 16th century, much later. And uh, then, yeah, I also trace like how distilled liquor could be transferred to Japan, like from like possible possible routes from Korea, from China. And also from like uh, the South, from uh, probably Europeans uh, or like Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand, Ryukyu, who have introduced this uh, spirit. But inter interesting thing is, unlike Korea, uh, where the soju became very popular so quickly, uh, shochu, the Japanese distilled liquor, didn't get very popular because, um, and I argue that, Actually, Japan in the early modern period, in Edo period, they had very systematic, uh, how can I, system to distribute sake, like a fermented liquor. So they didn't have to worry about, uh, the preservation of these alcoholic, uh, drinks. So the soju was, and distilled liquor, they are really kind of great invention. Uh, as a, like uh, alcohol that can be preserved for longer time, uh, but if in Japan, uh, Japanese people were able to drink like sake easily, all different kinds of sake. Uh, yeah, I think like yeah, they um, so it, sake became like more uh, popular in Japan, but uh, we can find some references to like soju and. Uh, I I also mentioned in my talk that in the Joseon period, in early modern period, uh, the Korean, um, the the Joseon, uh, the kings uh, sent many bottles of soju to other countries like Japan. So Japanese, um, we have some references that Japanese had this uh, soju or shochu in uh, in in Tokyo, in the like central part of Japan, but. Um, uh, uh, but uh, it didn't get really popular, yeah. But later in all, in uh, but actually the Japanese uh, in, brought um, this machine from the Europe uh, to mass produce uh, uh, like shochu, and then they introduced this technology to Korea. So that's how the Korean uh, soju uh, actually had another change in this terms of like production and technology. And uh, the Japanese also uh, developed shochu continuously. And in 1980s and 90s, there was a boom in Japanese shochu. So different kinds of shochu. If you go to Asian market, Korean market or uh, Japanese market, uh, 
you can also see a section of Japanese uh, shochu, not just sake, but different kinds of like beautiful bottles of shochu too. Thank you again, Professor Park, for a wonderful talk. Uh, you can purchase Soju A Global History online from Amazon. Uh, the link is on Professor Park's talk webpage. I also dropped it in the chat several times. Uh, please, holidays are coming up, so you can purchase a copy available on paperback as well as ebook for your Kindle. And with that, enjoy the rest of your Friday evening. Have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, remember to be upstander if you see a fellow person in need. Uh, thank you very much, Professor Park, for joining us all the thank way from so Korea. I hope to see you soon during the spring yep. semester. And yep, uh, everybody else, uh, if we don't see you soon, Happy New Year and join us again uh, in the spring. Thank you very much. Have thank a good week. Thank you week. so much. Bye. Bye. See you soon.